The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. So, welcome to episode 43. There's some electric car stuff. Actually, a, a bunch of electric car stuff uh, we're going to talk about this week, and, and maybe not much else. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> um, you know, we'll throw an, a dash of autonomy in there, right? Yeah, and, and some listener uh, questions that came in on Twitter this evening. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, a couple of good ones there. While you're talking, I'm going to go check out Star Trek. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That will all become clear later. Anyway, uh, let's talk about what we're driving and keep it electric. Sam, you're driving the Prius Prime. Yeah, so I spent last week uh, with the the new Prius Prime, which is uh, uh, Toyota's second stab at a plug-in hybrid. And um, the the first attempt, uh, the, the Prius PHV, which came out in what? 2011 or 12 i think i think it was um, yeah it was it's a while ago yeah, and it had it was, like three miles of range <laughs> well it was a little more than that but not much um so let me get one thing out of the way first um this is an ugly car and there's just, <laughs> there's just no getting around it it's not an attractive car um so having said that we'll, we'll move on beyond the styling well, um, so though before we move too far from that do you think that the Prius having, let's be charitable and say, distinctive looks is actually part of the brand? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it has been part of the brand ever since the second generation one. And, uh, you know, I think part of what has helped the Prius, uh, I mean, you know, Prius has struggled a little bit in the last few years, as have most hybrids. Uh, but, you know, what, what helped the Prius for you know the better part of a decade was the fact that you know it had a distinct look that um you know when you saw it you knew you know the person driving it you know was driving a hybrid you know cared about you know driving green and and being efficient and there's nothing wrong with that you know and several times you know over the the course of the last decade other other automakers you know they they've taken two approaches to hybrids you know one they basically they put the hybrid hardware in there and made it as indistinct as possible you know which is kind of the approach that that ford took with the the fusion hybrid and the escape hybrid before that um you know so it didn't look any different you know so it was just a normal you know looked like a normal driving experience and then there were those that um tried you know that gave their hybrids a unique look you know that set them apart from the rest of their lineup you know um for that you know the the honda insight you know that came out around 2009 um you know went for a very prius-like look uh the uh the current hyundai ionic 
uh, you know, is doing the same thing. To a degree, Ford did that with the C Max because you know they offered that only as a as a, uh, a hybrid. Um, you know, and the the second and third generation Priuses, you know, they had that sort of egg shape, you know, very aerodynamic shape, but um, I, I wouldn't call them ugly. I mean, they weren't. Yeah, you know, they weren't pretty. They were really kind of plain, actually. I thought they under. were kind of yeah, kind of goofy. Yeah, I mean they were they were fairly indistinct. You know, sure. Aside, aside from the overall profile. Uh, but so the Prius Prime has, I guess, it's been afflicted with what has kind of taken over all Toyotas and and Lexus vehicles of late. It's just this trend toward overstyling but beyond that there there are a few really interesting details like that rear window on the prius prime is fascinating that, it's got that, like a bubble is, in it yeah that is, that is actually kind of interesting because they um it, it's it's a it's a multiple uh it's a compound curve you know and it has sort of a valley in the middle of it you know so there's like uh like two upward curves you know and then it's concave in the middle which I'm sure, you know, was very carefully crafted in the wind tunnel, you know, to give absolute minimum drag. And the thing that really impressed me about that actually was from inside, you know, you look at it from the outside and it's very obviously, you know, a very complex curvature. Uh, but from inside, it has zero distortion. You know, I expected, you know, when I saw it, you know, when I got inside that, you know, the view through that back window would be all warped. But there's they somehow they managed to do it with virtually no distortion at all. See, that's got to be a that's got to be really tricky to manufacture. Oh, absolutely. And then B, they've just they've perfected it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's just, that's well, so Toyota. You know, and the the other thing about it, too, um, is that the, the whole rear hatchback is actually uh, carbon fiber. And there's some other carbon fiber bits around the car as well to reduce weight to, you know, to offset the the extra poundage of that battery pack. Um, so, you know, they, they, they did some some pretty nifty things in there. Of course, you know, the downside of having that compa- compound curve on the, uh, the rear hatch is that um, you can't you can no longer have a rear windshield wiper. So in the rain, you know, the visibility does go down a bit uh, because of the lack of a rear wiper. But aside from that, you know, they. It it works really well. Yeah, so it sounds like beyond the looks, there's actually a lot about the Prius Prime that's. I mean, you're almost making it sound kind of exotic uh, in a way. In, in some way, in some ways, it is. You know, I mean, like I said, you know, they they did incorporate some uh, some carbon fiber in you know various places to keep the weight down. Um, you know, I mean, it's certainly you know nothing like a uh, like the Lexus LFA, but you know, just very strategic use of it uh, to keep the weight down and and. So it did well there. And of course, you know, the the TNGA platform um, that they used, you know, starting with the the current, the fourth generation Prius uh, that this is based on uh, and also for the the new Camry. You know, it's certainly a much better platform than uh, anything, you know, than what the Prius has ever had before. You know, the driving dynamics are are much improved compared to prior generation Priuses. Um, Although, you know, this this particular one that I was, you know, the the Prime uh, rides on uh, 15 inch tires uh, with very low rolling resistance and uh, commensurately low grip. So, you know, you know, it. In you know fairly passive driving, you know it feels fine. You know it it, it changes lanes, re- you know without any difficulty. Um, 
but you know if you push it hard into a corner it will understeer like mad <laughs> uh, so you know it it's it's limits are pretty low but within as long as you stay within those limits it's fine you know it the when i drove the the previous uh plug-in uh, Prius, you know, it had this really leaden feel to it. I mean, it was, it's, it's dynamics were not good. Um, and this one is definitely much better, you know, uh, with that caveat of, you know, having relatively low maximum grip. Uh, but that's, you know, that's largely due to the tires they chose for, to maximize efficiency. Sure. And Priuses really have never, from a performer or from a enthusiast perspective, They've never really been pleasant to drive. They've been squishy and just set up for you know max economy. So they you know the low grip kind of tires and yeah. And just I mean this one isn't isn't squishy or anything. Right. It, you know it it definitely feels more more buttoned down. Uh, right. And and that was what surprised me about the the new TNGA um, Prius and and this car as well. I haven't I haven't driven the Prime, but uh, it's surprisingly rewarding in a way to drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so let's see. Oh, the, the other, you know, the other thing, you know, going back to the pre the original plug-in Prius, you know, that one really always seemed like kind of an afterthought, like Toyota didn't, it seems, it always seemed like Toyota didn't really have their heart in it with that one. They did it because on the, the, the previous, uh, second generation Prius, uh, there were so many owners, especially in California, there were, there were several companies that were actually offering conversion kits to make them, to make those Priuses, the second generation Priuses into plug-in hybrids, uh, you know, by just installing a, a, an auxiliary battery pack in the, in the rear and tying it into the, uh, um, the hybrid system. And, uh, you know, there was, a. a a fairly significant group of you know Prius customers that were clamoring for a plug-in hybrid. So you know, it kind of you know Toyota came into it kind of kicking and screaming, um, you know, and they put in a fairly small like it was only about a three and a half kilowatt hour battery pack or three or maybe just just under four kilowatt hours, which isn't very big. Yeah, and I think it, it was thirteen miles of range actually. Uh, I think like the official EPA rating was eleven, but um, that wasn't that wasn't actually eleven miles of all electric range or realistically it was almost impossible to actually get 11 miles of electric range out of it um, because one of the issues they had with that one is it didn't really have very much um, electric power uh, available you know traction and drive power available and so you know you, you basically had to just barely touch the accelerator to uh, keep it in electric mode and if you got into it at all the engine would turn on would, would fire up um, so you know, it could coast along, you know, um, at speed, you know, 50, 60, 70 miles an hour on electricity, but, you know, just don't try to accelerate uh, because there wasn't enough electric power to accelerate it. You know, as soon as you tried to get any kind of acceleration, it, the engine would fire up. Uh, so you, you know, you wouldn't be getting a you know, full electric uh, drive in that case. Well, so, and I, oh, go ahead. Uh, so they, you know, for this one, you know, they, they really committed to doing a plug-in hybrid right. Um, so what, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say by that time, if I recall, they, they played around with, it was the first time they put lithium ion batteries in the Prius uh, was that PHEV because um, they replaced older chemistry with, with the smaller lithium ion battery mm -hmm. um, for more power density. Uh, but also... This car, the, the TNGA, was probably well underway 
at that point. So rather than um, derail what they knew was coming, you know, they had to basically sort of feed the beast a little bit, but also, you know, not get too distracted because they knew they had something better coming out in the next few years. Right. So so this one, it's got uh, 8.8 kilowatt hours of uh, battery and they uh, made some changes to the uh, to the hybrid drive system. So up until now, all the the Toyota and Lexus hybrids have been two motor systems. It, it had um, but they used one motor exclusively as a generator uh, for, to, for doing regenerative braking and and uh, for charging the battery even from the engine, you know, under certain load conditions. And then the other one was the sec the other motor was used exclusively uh, to provide propulsion. And what they did this time is they added a clutch in there to tie the two motors together uh, so that under under heavier load or moderate load, um, you, you would actually be using both motors for propulsion. Uh, and so that way you could actually realistically drive the thing in electric only mode. And uh, I think the official EPA ratings, 25 miles of electric driving. And, you know, over the course of a week, you know, I'd make several longer trips and I'd regularly got 26 27 miles of electric driving on a charge uh with that thing so it was, it was quite impressive and you know because i was getting so much electric driving you know on uh, you know just when you add in the around town and, and the highway driving i still overall averaged like 90 miles per gallon with the thing so were you using the drive coach to help you drive efficiently or did you no. find yourself no uh, not 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 at all really I love like I don't I honestly don't know whether to be thrilled that they're including these things because the Prius isn't the only stuff. Yeah, the Prius isn't the only car to have the coaching thing. They, you know, some of them have trees where you add leaves to it. The more efficiently you drive, most hybrids have some form of coaching in the interface. You know, to to, you know to try to help you you know be more efficient. I don't have an issue with that. You yeah, know. I don't know whether I find it silly because I know how to drive efficiently or whether it's I don't I don't want it to be equated like driving with a video game. But I guess that's we're sort of already there anyway. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of people that would like that extra coaching, you know, that, you know, especially, you know, if they're new to hybrids and, you know, they want to figure out the best way to utilize it to, you know, to get the most out of it. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in pretty much all these cases, you know, you can there's usually you can usually reconfigure the uh, the cluster. You know, you can have the coaching there or turn it off and display something else. So I don't see that as an issue. I mean, if you like it, great. Use it. If you don't, no big deal. Right. Ignore it. I listen. I like to get offended about things that I could just ignore. You and then I be just offended? Like, be yeah. offended by trivial shit. Yeah, I mean, and then I could just like spend a couple of hours blustering about it. I, I, yeah. I've gotten a lot more, gotten a lot more zen. Um, That's why we do this show. <laughs> uh, did you, what did you think of that like uh, big eleven-inch portrait mode tablet thing in the middle? Yeah, that's my other big complaint about this car. Um, you you may have uh, at some point in the in the past, you know, if you've ever heard me talk about user interfaces in cars, complain that touchscreens don't belong in cars. Uh, as long as we still have to drive them, uh, touchscreens don't belong in cars. And this one proved yet again that they don't. It's just bad. Um, you know, the, the volume controls are you know capacitive touch buttons on there. There there are you know there are uh, there's a volume control on the steering wheel, um, but. 
the you know all the climate controls and everything it's all it's all touch interface um and it i did not like it um i didn't like it i didn't like it in the tesla i don't like it in this one i didn't like it you know in any other car that's ever had it um that's just you know that's my bugaboo uh, no and but, it's not just yours because it's the same thing as as mine it's it's a consistent complaint i feel like a broken record but it it's a it's a hazard um and i you know i wish there were more more studies or at least uh there was more publicity given to research about this like, it's a distraction and you're asking for a lot of cognitive ability and attention just to do simple things yeah and you know it, it, the thing is it, it has come up a lot you know over the last five or six years through things like the uh you know the jd power quality surveys um you know consumer reports uh reliability surveys in fact that one just came out today the new one um you know complaints about the um the infotainment systems and it's usually the ones that have you know the most touch centric uh, interfaces that get the most complaints you know people people buy them you know well in some cases they buy them because you know they want the car and they have no other choice but, right i was gonna say you, you don't know. really have a choice yeah uh but you know in in some cases where they've been optional like with um you know with uh you know the my ford touch stuff um or you know in the um you know, even even in some cases where you don't have a choice, you know, in some you know people look at them and say, "Wow, that looks cool." It's just like my smartphone. You know, it looks very high tech, and they buy it, and then they realize that it's not so good. Um, you know, and a lot of manufacturers, you know, over the last three or four years, have started to move away from that and revert back to using at least some degree of physical controls, especially for the climate control and you know the radio tuners and and volume controls and things like that that you know so we're getting a mix of physical and um you know tactile and, and touch controls um at trying to get the trying to find the right balance there um you know as we get towards automated driving it'll be less of an issue uh because you know it won't matter if you're looking away from the road but right now when we do still have to drive that cognitive load from having to look over at the screen and figure out where the touch targets are is not good yeah and I don't know that this is ever going to get uh, sort of fully solved. And I understand the bind that automakers are in. You know, they're selling a, a product that has to sort of keep up um, with convention. And there's a cost benefit to it as well. And weight savings when we're talking about something like the Prius. And just updating functionality. And, like, there are reasons for it that I understand. I just don't think we're there and fully baking this interface and that you know we've been spoiled for 25 30 maybe even 40 years uh maybe even a little bit more of of really sort of well-refined ergonomics um you know from the late 60s on stuff got a lot less funky sort of a lot more universally standardized because there was a lot of energy put into uh you know human factors and um safety uh, so, but you I mean you think back before that, like some of the cars from the fifties, <laughs> they had a lot of weird crap going on. Um, so maybe we're kind of seeing another another echo of that era. Yeah, no, that absolutely. You know, and increasingly manufacturers they they want to find ways to differentiate their products from all the other cars that are on the road, because in so many ways, you know, they have 
they've become more more common, you know, more more commodified, and so they they want to find a way to to give their vehicles a unique look. And one of the places they can do that is in the the HMI, the, the user interface in in the vehicle. Uh, you know, but unfortunately, that they haven't been very good at that. And you know, even even Tesla, who you know, Tesla fans have praised that big screen in there. But you know, I think it sucks. You know, it's it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I have my reasons for uh, my preferences, and I've I've stated them before. But you know, it's a lot of light to put in a cabin um, when you're talking about well, night driving. Too, yeah, and it's just, we can we can do a whole episode about it. And we 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 should, I guess, at some point. Um, but it's. It's an ongoing issue. It's an image-conscious industry. Uh, you know, you want to make something that people are going to buy. Um, so hopefully everybody can uh, join our backlash and say, I want buttons and manual transmissions and we'll have and perfect you know, cars. You know what? Sometimes when you, when you complain about that sort of thing, the automakers do listen and they, they will make changes. I mean, you know, Ford's done it with, um, with their, uh, with sync three, they've gone back to, to more physical controls. Honda did it, you know, going, bringing back the volume knobs and tuning knobs on their audio systems. So they do listen. Yeah. And they're in a terrible bind. Take a few years, but you know, they, yeah. they get there. They're, they're in a terrible bind. Um, and I also don't believe that the whole idea that automakers don't know how to do tech. I think that's nonsense. Um, they certainly do, and they have a lot of constraints that well, it makes their tech what it is. Yeah, and that that's the thing that um, you know a lot of people don't really understand. Yeah, you know, and I mean, from a from from a purely engineering standpoint, the fact that they've managed to make this stuff work even as well as it as flawed as it is that they've managed to make it work as well as it does given the the cost constraints that they have and the, and the, all the other constraints in terms of the environmental conditions where you know automotive electronics have to work you know from temperature extremes vibration uh and everything else you know things that you know phone manufacturers and computer manufacturers don't have to worry about uh, you know th those are those are real issues in the automotive environment and so, you know, and, and because there's so much electronics packed into modern cars, another big issue they have to deal with is electromagnetic interference. And as you electrify the car and put hybrid and, and battery electric powertrains in there, that only makes it worse. And so trying to make this stuff work at all is really challenging. Uh, and so, you know. Not not to, you know, cut them slack, you know, that certainly the, the user interface designs should be better. But, um, you know, all everything else considered, you know, just be happy that it does anything at all. Yeah. I mean, basically, these things are more sophisticated than, than the Apollo capsules. And they're supposed to work for 12 years. Yeah. Plus, you know, so, I mean, you know, a little bit of a good job and a pat on the back, I think, is deserved. But, but we're not there in terms of interface. Like, let's let's just move on now. Yep. <laughs> um, so. I've had because of the time we're, we're recording this, I've I'm kind of had an overlap of a couple of cars. But last week we talked about we teed it up a little bit. Um, we talked about the visceral experience of the vehicle I was driving last week. Oh yes. Uh, so I had a Mitsubishi. Not always a good thing. I take it. No, no. Um, I had a Mitsubishi Mirage GT and. So I've had this car before, not this one, but I've had the Mirage before. And, you know, I've I've thought of it as a fish out of water in an automotive sense. Um, it's always struck me as a car that's sold here 
but it's really hasn't been designed with the U.S. in mind. Um, you know, so then I, I started thinking, like, OK, where does it where does it belong? You know, it's definitely at home as a city car. So in an urban environment, you know, Boston, uh, for example, if if I lived in the city, especially if I lived in some place as tight as the North End. Great. Right at home in a tight city like that, uh, you know, and in European cities, especially that are even tighter. Yeah, it's there. They call it the Space Star. It's not the Mirage there. It's the Space Star. Um, but even among that class of cars, I the Mirage is not competitive. Have you have you driven a Mirage? Um, no, I have not had the um, <laughs> the honor the the honor of driving a Mirage. Okay, the la- last Mitsubishi I drove was the uh, 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 the Outlander Sport. Okay, um, yeah. So it's got all that mediocrity plus some. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a car that shares a class with the the Kia Rio. Um, the Fiat Panda, uh, the VW Up, and I think the uh, in Europe the uh, Skoda Citigo, and and the Mazda Two. Um, I think the Ford Fiesta is the same class. Mm-hmm. So all yeah, of those all segment cars, yeah, all of those better choices. Um, and, and you know, it's kind of a shame because there's there is this certain charm to the Mirage. Like it, it gives me this impression that it it's trying hard. Uh, I mean, or maybe it's just trying to spend time in it. I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's small. It's light. Um, so it feels kind of responsive because of that. And that's about where it ends. I mean, <laughs> Mitsubishi has done their best uh, to erase any kind of playfulness or driving enjoyment. Um, I thought the steering was really weird. Like you can feel the assist turning on and off as you, you turn the wheel a couple of degrees off center. Um, CVT is the only transmission available unless you have the base base level. Uh, so I had that wonderful Jatco CVT in the GT. Uh, that is it is so bad. <laughs> in this car. Uh, it does. It does the CVT thing. You know, it multiplies torque at low speeds and, and that's noticeable. Um, and the, the three-cylinder engine, I think, puts in a, a commendable performance. You know, it's actually not super tiny. It's it's uh, 1,200cc, so 1.2 liters. That's kind of big for a three-cylinder. Um, it's not turbocharged or anything, so it's like 72 horsepower. Uh, you know, I, it's not bad for an engine that size, but it's it's. I don't think there's any balance shafts on it, um, or if there are, they're not effective. It's very, uh, very rough. Um, it, it like ran, reminded me of a, a sort of like a demented V6 uh, with the rhythm um, that it, it runs at. Uh, and it, it does snarl like I found myself to be entertained. I would just put my foot into it and just bury it <laughs> and wait. And it's just it's like it's, it's like a golf cart. It's essentially it's a, it's the same kind of thing as a golf cart. That's that's what it's like to drive uh, with that sort of slippy transmission. And you just you put your foot down and you go. And then when you're you're up to speed, you let your foot off and it, it just sort of slows back down. Um, I could not help but think how much better this would be, even with, you know, like a three or a four speed conventional auto or the manual. Um and I, I really wanted to try it with the manual, but they don't they don't offer it. So, 
<sighs> you can like, you can actually get the uh, uh, the manual in the SE as well. I'm oh, can you? The, yeah, you can get it in the ES and the SE, but not in the GT. Uh, that's too bad. I mean, because the GT, it, I thought the engine was one of the high points just for its the sort of novelty factor. Um, the GT is really well equipped for for what it is. You get a lot of equipment. Um, it had actually one of the better infotainment systems I've I've tried in a uh, recent Mitsubishi. You know, and they they keep upgrading those just about every year. And they're they're simple, so it's it's like a head unit upgrade. And I'm, but this one it, it worked better. Uh, you know, there's a lot of noise in this one for the like road noise for the hands-free system to deal with. But I, I could, really couldn't complain about that. I thought it was it paired up to my phone a lot more easily than than other uh, Mitsubishi's, and, and so it worked worked fine. Um, but you know, it has power windows, uh, power locks, which okay, those sound like '90s level like <laughs> features. But I, it's this is a B segment car, right? It's a basic car, and it, it makes no pretense about that. Really, um, this, the AC system is surprisingly great. Uh, the there's push button starting, there's keyless entry. The headlights are either HID or LED in this trim. I don't know. They were very good, actually. Uh, uh, they're HID, black yeah. nine HIDs. They are. They're very good. They're effective, um, which is important, I think, in any Absolutely. car. Absolutely. Um, and has had nice alloy wheels. Uh, you know, it has, it has geek factor stuff to like too. Hey, it says, says it's got a front seat heater. Yeah, it did. It had heated seats. Yep. Um, and it's it's when you look into the history, of, uh, not the history, but just sort of like. Okay, what did Mitsubishi? What are they trying to do here? Uh, low weight was a priority in their design, so there's a lot of high strength steel in the the structure. It makes a pretty rigid unibody, and it, it, it's true. It didn't feel floppy, so that you know that apparently worked. Uh, I was surprised to find out it has a really low coefficient of drag. It's it's under 0.3 um, aerodynamically. It's that's pretty good. Um, and let's see. Uh, yeah. Um, that's about it. <laughs> There's <laughs> lots and lots of body roll, uh, very, very little grip. And it's got that sort of small car trying to feel big ride. So it's it's kind of squishy. It is it is roomy for what it is. How's fuel efficiency? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> I got like 31 miles per gallon combined. I mean, you, you can get a big old Camry to do that. Yeah. So. Uh, and, Civic does better than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that's just because I has got a hundred more horsepower. Right. Uh, and that's maybe my thinking is, is like I did a highway commute that was, you know, some stop and go. But there were other times where I like I had to get up to speed and I had to maintain 80 miles an hour. So otherwise I would get squashed. Um, it's not made for that. It'll do it and it won't really complain about it. You just have to be patient and plan ahead if you're making moves. Uh, so in that sense, it's one of those cars that it's really at home in a sort of moderately low speed, you know, 50 mile an hour tops kind of city environment. It's really good there. It has a tight turning radius. It's easy to park. I did love that. I, I was able to tuck it into the garage with no problem uh, at work. Um, but it's it's not real at home in sort of that big old open road American environment. Uh, and that's not it's not really what it's made for. Um, but so the, the biggest issue I had with it is that in GT trim, I mean, if you've got the site open there, it's, it's over $18,000. Wow. That's, so uh, that's quite a bit for, for yeah. our, like, you know, of these, the spec. 
it's a little funky looking. Um, interior materials are not competitive. Uh, it feels plasticky, and it it just it feels like uh, this class of car from from twenty or even twenty five years ago. Looks uh, like it does have some contrast stitching on the seats, though. <laughs> yes, it, the seats were not the lowest point. I mean, the interior plastics are just they they just look cheap. Um, the steering wheel rim looks uh, suitably thick. <laughs> I love how you're, 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 you're reaching. I'm, I'm trying uh, not to be Mr. Negativity. No, but I, and I'm trying not to be negative, too, because I feel like this is a car that is, uh, again, like not for this market. But then in other markets where there's other cars, you know, there, there's other choices and this. This segment of vehicle is more popular. The choices are still better. I mean, I, so let's take another car that you can get like everywhere, right? Like the Rio. Uh I, when I looked it up, the Rio has almost twice the horsepower. Um, I think the engine is like 130 horsepower. So that's almost twice the, the horsepower, and it's it's only like 400cc bigger. Uh, so, well, I mean, I guess that's – this is a 1.2. That's a 1.6. 400cc with engines this small. That that's, So that's a pretty significant difference. But still, it's going to be pretty efficient. You know, um, the the – the problem with cars like this, um, you know, where they have been built down to a price point is, you know, you, you kind of kind of wonder, it's like, why buy something like this new right. when you can buy something quite a bit better that, you know, just a couple of years old. 18 grand buys you a lot of car. Right. I mean, you know, back, I don't know, maybe 2010 or something, um, I did, uh, when I'm, you know, still writing for Autoblog, I did a review of the uh, Chevy Avail, you know, which was their small car before the Sonic. And you know, the Sonic's a pretty decent car. The Avail was not. And, you know, that car at the time, you know, this was seven years ago, uh, you know, with automatic transmission and a leatherette uh, upholstery <laughs> on the seats, uh, you know, that thing came to over 17 grand. Right. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, in my my summary at the end of the review, you know, I said, you know, yeah, you could buy this car for seventeen thousand dollars or you could buy a two year old Honda Fit Sport um, for about you know a little less money, actually. And you'd have a hell of a lot better car with the two year old Honda than you would with that Avail. And I get, you know, I think the same thing applies here. Yeah. You know, you could buy, you know, a couple year old Fiesta or Rio or a, or a Fit or, or a Fit, you know, for you know something, you know, the same or or less money, and uh, you'd have a far better car. Yeah, but it's, and, and, and you'd still have probably a year of warranty left on it. Yeah. That that's true, and that's sort of the most compelling argument I think against these cars is that uh, something that's already gone down the depreciation curve. Because when you're at this point, uh, I don't I don't know that you're real concerned about. I mean, the warranty plays a factor, but you know, eighteen grand, you know that you're you're compromising. Um, so you might as well compromise a little on the warranty coverage and sort of putting those first miles on it and get something that is just you know overall a, a more versatile car, a little better. But even if you're buying new, like 18 grand, like that's not an insignificant price. And the other cars that are built to the same price are just they're just better. Um, you know, the, the Rio, well, I'll come back to that. You know, the, the Rio is just, just just more comfortable. It's better to drive. It's got easier to use technology uh, that's more sophisticated. It's quieter inside. 
uh, you know, we used to talk about cars like this as a penalty box. Um, the, the Mirage definitely is a is a penalty box, and maybe one of the few that you can still buy new. Uh, I think the only other one I can think of is uh, the Versa. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd still rather have the Versa, especially the Versa Note. Um, you know, and, and for, like you don't gain any fuel economy, like I like I found. Uh, it just fuel economy didn't come out in in daily driving to anything impressive. So. I'm I'm not buying it. I don't think anybody else should either, uh, which I kind of so, hate to say. So I'm I'm looking at the at uh, the Honda site right now. A 2018 Fit LX. That's their the base level Fit uh, with a CVT. Uh, comes including delivery comes to seventeen nine. Right. You know. So and that's that's a better car. It is. I mean, you'll you probably give up some features if you start to compare um, between a, a Fit LX and a and a mirage gt but overall you're, you're making a better box. it's worth it's worth it yeah, yeah. um the, the fit is a it's a it's a formidable competitor um sort of and that's in between that that b and c segment uh just the way that car has a carved out interior and, and clever mm-hmm. packaging uh so for a palette cleanser uh i'm now uh driving a golf all track and uh volkswagen makes a really good car <laughs> <laughs> really just i love this thing okay you know I, 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 prior prior to you know getting our civic we had uh the the predecessor of this car which was the uh the jetta sport wagon um you know and <clears throat> the this this car you know the sport the jetta sport wagon was always you know ever, was only ever called batched as a jetta in north america everywhere else in the world it was the golf sport wagon and you know so you know what you've got you know the the golf all track you know is the successor to that you know they, they've gone back and you know they're, they're they dropped the jetta badging and they call it a golf here now as well and and so the all track is the the slightly taller right. all-wheel drive version, right? The the sport utility right. version. And like I would prefer the regular wagon without the cladded sort of pretension. Uh, but whatever. It has all-wheel drive. It's it's pretty well thought out. It's comfortable. Uh, it drives really well. You know, I think the word I would use is is tidy. Um, and I was thinking about this this morning. You know, from a normal car buyer's perspective, uh, you know, that's uh, you're spending your hard-earned money on one car. It has to fill a lot of needs. I think that's why I like it so much. It's fantastic. It's got great cargo space. Um, you're going to get better economy than a crossover. Um, it's lower to the ground, which I think is a plus. Uh, could be a minus, depending on, on your point of view. Uh, and just, you know, it's it's got good space. And there's even a USB port in it, finally. Yes. Yeah, the <laughs> VW has finally given in and you know, ditched their uh, proprietary connector that they had uh, and put in a proper USB port uh, last year. I think they started doing that. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the golf wagon, you know, and either all track, all track or sport wagon shape, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a good it's a really handsome shape. You know, and, you know, it, it gives you the driving dynamics of a car, you know with a whole bunch of extra room inside for, you know, whatever gear you want to throw in there. And I, I haven't looked at the specific numbers, but I think at least compared to the 
the previous generation Tiguan. I think they, they just recently started selling a new Tiguan here. Uh, but compared to the previous generation Tiguan, it had more more room inside than the Tiguan. You know, so yeah. it was a more useful car. You know, without you know, and like you said, the only thing you're really giving up is that that high uh, ride height. You know, and that that vision. But it's funny. I, I was earlier today. I was recording a segment uh, with Daron Levine for his uh, his Sirius XM show, and we were talking about uh, wagons versus utilities. Yeah, you know, and I and I mentioned, yeah, you know, when when everybody's driving an SUV, you know, to try and get that higher ride height, you know, and the extra visibility. Does anybody actually have any extra visibility? You're right. It's it's sort of like uh, if everybody's tall, nobody's tall. Exactly. Kind of thing. Um, yeah. So if, at that point, you might as well go back to a car. Yeah, and I mean, I th- I overall like it's it leaves such a good impression because, like you said, it, it I think it's slick and clean looking. Um, it, it's not a real or- ornamented design, which works really well. And Volkswagen tends to do that really well. Uh, the materials are nice. And even the door pockets have like a little bit of carpeting in them or like felt uh, material. So it, it's what, there's what, nice touches. What trim level do you have? Um, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> Um, it's not the top top trim. I, mean, I think it's it's leather at seats. It doesn't have nav, uh, but it it has some sort of infotainment system where I can I can stream podcasts. So I, I've been doing that. <laughs> I think the uh, the VTEX is only available on the SEL, which is the top trim level. Okay, hang on a second. Uh, um, um, I was surprised that it didn't have nav. Uh, so oh, no, sorry, you can you can get the VTEX as an option on the SE. It must be and, the SE. Yeah, and you know that that VTEX material that they use, you know that leatherette material uh, that Volkswagen has is is actually a really nice material. We had that on our Jetta, and you know it's 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 it looks good and it's it's quite durable. Um, so you know, as as an alternative to to leather, you know, I think it's a it's a really good choice. Yeah, and so there, I was trying to think of things that Dan doesn't like, you know, like things I hate, um, and I couldn't come up with too many. Uh, there's a proximity of, uh, sensor in the new infotainment system. So as you get close to it with your hand, it, it sort of changes the display a little bit. It, it pops up little other menu items and stuff. And, uh, that never fails that's, to an- that, annoy me. Uh, that, that's actually unusual to find, you know, in a car at this price point. I mean, up until now, only, you know, much more premium cars have had stuff like that. Right. Like Q, um, is what it, I think the first time I, I dealt with a proximity sensor, but what messes me up is like, you're going for something and it changes right as you get to it. It's like, damn it. That, but, that, that is a problem, but they've, they've done it smartly. You know, like the actual, like, uh, the button that you may be aiming your finger for the touch targets, uh, they actually grow as they sense your finger is, is coming in to, to give you a better chance of actually hitting your target. So beyond cranky old man I, they've tried tried to do it uh better and it has this feature um like the uh subaru i had a couple of weeks ago had it too it turns on the fog lights as you're cornering i i know they're trying to be helpful but it puts light in the wrong place and it's a distraction as you're trying to like pay attention to looking into your turn so stop it or at least let me shut it off <laughs> um that was about all i could think of uh in terms of stuff i i really dislike um you know, the, it it has that, that good Volkswagen uh, driving experience. I don't know about what happens in the long term ownership experience, like what blows up. That's that. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. And it's I not mean, really fair, I guess. Uh, but in a way, it is to bring that up. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, we, we we own we own two VWs over, you know, for you know covering 
what, 16, 17 years. And, you know, the driving experience was always great. The ownership experience, not so much. So what? that's why we don't have another VW right now. Right. Like, uh, it seems to me like, you know, my experience with European cars, uh, not Volkswagen specific, but in general as a breed um, and, and other people I've, you know, know and and uh, am related to and stuff. They've had Volkswagens, uh, and it seems like the pattern is you'll get through like sixty to eighty thousand miles relatively. That's, that's about it. So around that sixty thousand mile mark is where things start to. That's a good time to to sell. Right. They, then they get needy and like annoying, weird, expensive stuff breaks. Very expensive. Like, okay. Like they, you know, our, ours had the the panoramic moonroof. Does yours uh. have that? Um, no, this one doesn't. Okay. Um, so we had the panoramic moonroof on our wagon and there's a shade, you know, motorized shade that goes back, you know, so when you close it, you know, if it's really sunny out, you know, you can close it and it's, it's, it's perforated. So you still get some light coming through it, but it's, it's less intense and, you know, you can motor it back and, you know, if it's cold out, but you want the, the sunshine, you know, you can just open that up and, and you still have, you have the glass roof. Great. Uh, at about 57,000 miles, one day my wife was opening it up and it got about halfway back and one side kept going and the other side stopped. <laughs> and so the thing got all twisted up and henceforth would not move any further. And the, the thing got ripped and, you know, along one side. And I started researching, you know, okay, how much is this going to cost me to fix? You know, can I fix it myself? The parts alone were 500 bucks. Taking it to a dealer to fix it would have been about fifteen hundred dollars because they have to take the entire headliner. headliner. There's all yep. kinds of all kinds of uh, labor involved, and you know at that point you know we uh, they had already done the ours was a TDI and they had already done announced the settlement and we knew we were going to be doing the buyback, and so I said okay to heck with that, just got out a knife cut, you know took the took what was left of it off and went to AutoZone and got some window tint film and, you know, put extra window tint film, you know, on the inside of the, the glass. Uh, so, that, you know, it wouldn't get too overwhelming and just left it at that. Cause it just, it wasn't worth fixing it for $1,500. Yeah. And that, all that was, was the fabric shade that goes motors back and forth. It's yep. crazy. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's, it's this, it's this bizarre dichotomy, uh, you know, of, you know, it's so great to drive, but it's such a pain in the ass to own. <laughs> and you know what? Let's move on to topics and okay. let's, let's stay with premium European cars. Okay. <laughs> um, Cause uh, this week uh, we all got to see what Polestar has turned into. And apparently their first car is going to be um, their, their first car of their new evolution or whatever they wanted to there. They are now the standalone electric performance brand under the Volvo umbrella. Uh, so they've basically made a uh, S90 coupe and it, it looks, uh, well, it's actually got a lot of Mustang in it. Yeah. I was going to say, it looks like Volvo coupes have always looked a little, little overly chunky, um, but also really striking at the same time. And I mean, Volvo has gone from this sort of, uh, place where they they really in terms of the cars they sell they sort of share this chunk of the market with um with like acura right like so they're sort of a uh a, a player in this this valley between just 
you know, your normal brands, the premium trim level of your normal sort of, you know, Ford, Chevy, Toyota, whatever. Um, and the prestige brands like uh, Mercedes and BMW, they've always sort of been in that, that middle area. That uncanny valley. Yeah. Um, they've, in the last couple of years, they have really evolved what Volvo means. You know, they're, they're leading in style. I mean, they, it doesn't matter what price they, they charge. They, the, uh, the cars all look like a million bucks uh, it, inside. Now. I, I have to say that um, under Geely's ownership, you know, Geely has been an amazingly good steward of the Volvo brand since they acquired it from Ford in, two, in 2010. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they have given them the resources they need to completely revamp their product line in a way that they never really got to do under under Ford's ownership. Um, yeah, and it's it's paid off. I mean, it's working. You know, for the most part, really well. Um, you know, the SPA architecture that they use for the um, the the ninety series, the sixty series, and now the Polestar One um, is is a really impressive setup. And there, there's a, a lot of interesting stuff about this car. Yeah, it's first of all, the fact that it's, you know, an a electric performance hybrid two door, uh, you know, they're sort of like following the Tesla model, if you will, of rolling out um, the the electrified car as a, as a premium model. Uh, and I know that this is this is sort of their electrification strategy that they announced they've been masterful at timing their press releases and wording their press releases yeah uh, and this is sort of like just an extension of that um but it's also just a you know really impressive to see it it happening and uh because they've gone with electrification I, you know polestar has always meant performance and there's there's no shortage of that uh with electric powertrain if you you tune it that way, and it, it sounds like they certainly have, given that it's got like 600 horsepower and uh, it was a thousand newton meters of torque or something. It, that that's gonna it's gonna perform quite all right. Yeah, it, it'll do okay. Uh, I'll I'll be curious to see, you know, in the in the real world, you know, how customers accept this thing because um, first of all, you know, the 600 horsepower uh, comes you know from the combination of. Uh, I think it's the the engine itself is about 400 uh, is just shy of 400 horsepower. And then uh, you've got three electric motors, two at the back and uh, one at the front uh, um, that are you know adding to that, adding another almost 200. And so when the when the battery is depleted, you know, the battery has only got about um, 90 miles of all electric range. So, first of all, you're not going to get 600 horsepower in all electric mode, um, the 600 horsepower is going to come in, in hybrid mode w with the engine and the motors. Uh, and then once the battery is depleted, you're also not going to get 600. You're still going to get, you know, like almost 400, but, um, cause it's, it's a, an upgrade, a further upgraded version of the two liter, uh, turbocharged and supercharged engine that they have in the, uh, the S90 and XC90 T6. Which is surprisingly linear and punchy. And oh yeah, it's a great just, engine. It feels it, it it feels so much bigger than it is. Um, that that engine is like a triumph of technology over displacement. <laughs> yeah, no, it it certainly is. Um, and so uh, I'll be I'll be curious to see how customers 
what customers think of this thing, you know, because it, the the actual times when you have that 600 horsepower output available, you know, granted, you're not actually going to use 600 horsepower very often, um, right. especially in a car like this. But, you know, there will be limits on when you have that full power available. Us automotive journalists are going to try to use it all the time. Um, well, that, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other details of this car are also sort of like equally intriguing. Um, you know, they say it's got a carbon fiber body. So I don't know whether that means the whole body is carbon fiber or like what. There's so uh, from uh, from reading the uh, the the materials, uh, it looks like about fifty percent of the SPA architecture is carried over. Uh, that's that's Volvo's scalable platform architecture, and then about the, half of the the structure is replaced with carbon fiber and other materials. Um, so there's there's carbon fiber uh, in part of the structure, especially in the back of the car. The body skins are carbon fiber, and a lot of the upper structure is is carbon fiber, <clears throat> and then you know mixed in with with steel and aluminum from the from the SPA. Hmm. And in 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 conjunction with uh, the, that's a that's a pretty advanced body, I guess too. The the they're rolling out a new Olin's. Um, yeah, chassis control system. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of tech here. The thing that stood out the most to me is possibly one of the smallest uh, details. Um, they're using phone as key. Yeah, well, that's um, they're they're actually not the first to do that. Um, let's see, uh, Tesla actually offers that right now. You can use your phone as the key, um, and there's somebody else who's bringing it out this year. I uh, can't think of who it is right now, but basically, what what it's doing is using uh, Bluetooth LE uh, from your phone, so Bluetooth low low energy from your phone. So your phone acts as the key fob. So what if on those days where my phone dies before I leave work um, and I can't charge it? What what happens then? Well, then you'll have to reach for the fob. Okay, so you'll actually have a fob. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I would I would assume that they will give you a fob as well. I would hope so. Uh, you just hope that you don't leave it at home. Uh, yeah. No, it sounds like they're they're using this to sort of uh, roll out a bunch of technology that's going to actually inform the next car, which is the the full battery, the Polestar Two. Right. be the battery electric it'll it'll be more of like a tesla model 3 competitor so it'll have a lower price um although it it sounds like you're actually not buying Polestar yeah, appar- apparently this will only be available through the uh, care by volvo program which is the subscription program we talked about a few weeks ago uh when they launched the xc40 um so you know you'll you'll sign up for essentially you know it's a it's a sort of a lease program uh but you know you get to upgrade uh, periodically to you know newer models of the of the car i think every year every two years you can uh upgrade without uh, you know just stay on your subscription plan and then it'll include all the maintenance and insurance and things like that. So that makes me wonder how many they're actually going to make. Um, you know, it's just that weird thing like, OK, so who owns the cars then if you're, you're subscribing does. to them? Right. So so then it's a test bed. 
what what is it like it's yeah, I, th- I think i think it is you know especially this one i think is is really more of a test bed uh for a lot of new technologies like the the carbon fiber and and you know some of the propulsion technologies that they're using um you know and the other thing about this is it's being built in china it's not going to be built in sweden like other volvos yeah and that like that honestly that doesn't doesn't bother me at all i mean yeah. especially for geely you know picking up volvo Volvo has experience setting up factory spaces, you know, automotive production spaces around the world. You know, they they had, you know, they had a plant I think in what Halifax um, for yeah, for a yeah, while. long long time ago. And but I mean that that one was just building uh, complete knockdown kits, so they were right. shipping over kits from Sweden and and doing final assembly there. But I think they also um, did Australia this, and uh, yeah. you know, Netherlands, and so they 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 know a bit about it. Right. So, yeah, Volvo's got uh, a new plant under construction in, I think, in South Carolina right now. Uh, right. It's going to build XC90s and S90s. Um, and then they've got this new plant in China uh, that is going to be dedicated for building Polestar cars. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I mean, give, given the amount of carbon fiber in this thing, you know, having the subscription uh, option is probably the only way that they're going to, you know, keep the price, you know, keep the cost down to a, a manageable level. Yeah. Uh, putting it in China, uh, building it in China, probably it, to me, that seems smart just because I, I think that that's where you're going to find a lot of the people that subscribe to the car. I guess that's the, the phrase we're going to use now. Um, you know, they've got, they've got a population that is, is looking for, for transportation and, yeah. um, you know that that's sort of an untapped, not fully untapped, but uh, it's a, it's a market that's more receptive to alternative, uh, not ownership, but just alternative ways, alternative ways of buying into mobility. I guess uh, if I'm going to torture some phrases, <laughs> um, you know, and, and again, like the ordering and conf- configuration of cars, they say is like it's an online thing. So that it, I'm scratching my head, like. Wait, you're gonna order it and configure it, but you're gonna then subscribe to it from with the care. But I don't, I don't get like yeah, you you or, order it online just just as you know today you do you know with the Tesla you know you when your when your uh, car is ready to be built you go online you configure it you know and then that you lock that in and that's what they build for you and you know then you go pick it up at the at the Tesla store um, right they're doing that exact thing and yeah, making it's, Polestar it's spaces. Yeah, this is going to be basically the same thing, except um, in, you know your monthly payment instead of being a traditional loan payment or or even a lease payment is a, an all inclusive um, monthly payment. You know, for a, a two. You know, so I'm looking at it now again, uh, a two or three year subscription, um, and that includes you know all the maintenance and insurance and everything, um, and as well as uh, the features like uh, pickup and delivery for servicing and the ability to rent alternative vehicles within the Volvo and Polestar range, okay. all, all incorporated in the monthly payment. So for example, you know, if you needed an XC90 for a weekend trip, you know, for, for a road trip, you could get that, you know, as an alternative to your Polestar. So it's not, I, I guess what I'm getting confused is it almost sounded to me like it's really a car sharing set up, but it doesn't no. sound like that's what it is. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not car sharing because you, you know, the, the car that you get, you know, that's your car. I mean, and so then the, that separate like Volvo owns it or, or whatever, whoever is finance doing the handling, their financing owns it um, just as with a lease. But, yeah, you get that one car 
for the two or three year subscription period. And then that XC90 that you borrow or whatever is yeah. like that's part of a smaller that's, like rental. Right. Fee. That's that's the sharing part. Right. OK. I get it now. Um, so those are all really on their own. They're somewhat momentous. Uh, and to, to roll them all together, like the car is certainly the figurehead of the story. But uh, overall, all of those other things, I think, add up to something that's that's uh, a much bigger change coming for Volvo when they when they do launch the, the Polestar 2. And even just for for normal, you know, bent metal Volvo cars, um, they're they're trying to figure out how they fit in the future economy, especially as a small niche automaker. And and so this is fascinating to watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, let's move right. to another topic. All um, right. Because I don't I don't have anything more to say about Volvo at this point. OK, so uh, another new car was also revealed today, um, and that's the uh, Audi A7, uh, which second generation A7. Yeah, looks like looks like the first generation, only nicer. Yeah, a little little more uh, muscular, you know, a little more you know, bulging fenders. And um, it's got, you know, the the revised front fascia that we saw on the uh, the new A8 uh, a month or two ago. Um, and, you know, I mean like the like the previous a7 you know it shares its platform with the a8 i mean it's it's basically mechanically it's basically a five-door hatchback a8 and there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> no not at all um you know it's you know so you, you have the same powertrains um same uh 48 volt electrical system as uh the a8 um so that's you know the these cars probably be the uh, first to hit the u.s market with uh, 48 volt electrical systems um and we've talked about that before you know so they're mild hybrids uh we don't need to rehash that what's going to be interesting is this um this new infotainment system this new generation mmi uh that they're doing on the a8 and the a7 and presumably on all their other uh upcoming models <clears throat> which uh dispenses with the old rotary control knob and goes to dual touchscreens with haptic feedback <sighs> why <sighs> why um audi has been everybody really wants pushing. to be tesla yeah, well, Audi has also been forcing screens. Like they've got the the screens as your your dashboard, which I mean that's an okay idea, um, but they've they've made it awfully gimmicky. Um, so instead of gauges, they have like you know pictures of gauges. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's people are used to it, but we just talked about this. Like that's bound to be a crappier experience. Yeah, I. Well, I mean, I, I suspect I'm pretty sure it will be, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. And, you know, hope, hope Audi sends us one to drive and uh, we'll let you know. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not optimistic about that. The rest of the car, though, I'm definitely very optimistic. I mean, about. yeah, I mean, it's it's a beautiful car. Um, it's some of the awkwardness of the current A7 is is gone. You know, the A7. It, it looked striking when it first came out, and now it looks a little weird. Like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, from certain angles, it just doesn't look graceful. Uh, where this car, I mean, we're seeing it in press photos. So, yeah, it certainly does look its best. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the cockpit just, it looks beautiful in photos. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, like I say, I'm just wondering how actually usable right. that, that system is going to be. Right, and that's what I was just going to say. It looks beautiful. 
<laughs> I'm not sure how the screens are going to look after I punch them. <laughs> Just, uh, no, that's not true. I don't actually punch screens. Please send your cars. Um, all right. I, you know, it's going to have the full range of power trains and, you know, all kinds of other, you know, variants. And, uh, you know, the S7 is going to be the one to look at, see how powerful and fast that is. Some yeah. shit's going to be bonkers. Uh, one thing that's that's interesting, uh, I saw a couple stories uh, this evening um, that apparently Audi is not going to use their new uh, naming uh, system for its U.S. market cars. Oh, I did see that because we put up such a you know such a fight because it's it's stupid and confusing. No, it's not. Like so you get the A seven fifty five TSI or whatever versus the A seven. I, f- I forget what their other sort of. I don't so, know. I mean, you know, here, uh, you know, what what Audi's been doing for the last you know dozen years or so or however long, is you know they they've had the model names you know A seven uh, you know S seven RS seven and so on, uh, indicating the various levels of performance, um, and and then you know you've had um, the. Uh, uh, nomenclature for the you know the the numbering you know indicating the engine size, but they've had um, like for example 3.0 TFSI um, for you know gas engines boosted a three liter uh, V6 boosted you know gasoline engine and then TDI for the for the diesel and uh, but you know the the TFSI. Except on, on the on the three liter V six, the TFSI is actually supercharged, not turbocharged. And on on a, on you know everything else where I call it a TFSI, it's it's supercharged or it's turbocharged. Uh, and there you know there's all kinds of nonsense. And so what they came up with uh, in Europe, because especially now as they're transitioning over to adding more hybrids and plug-in hybrids and, and electrification, they wanted to have something more consistent, you know, that crossed all these different types of powertrains. And so they came up with a scheme that uh, they would put a number that goes in in increments of five. So starting at like, you know. Uh, 20 or 25, 30, 35, and so on, uh, that indicates the, um, what is it, the, is it the kilowatt? I was going to say, I think what? it's kil- kilowatts yeah. or kil- kilowatt hours or something like that. Yeah, basically it indicates the power level uh, in kilowatts. Um, Although, I don't know, f- 55 kilowatts seems No, low. It, yeah, it uh, forget yeah forget exactly what it was um maybe oh it's oh no it's kilowatts per liter is right. what it okay. is um no because it's not that because that won't work for electric <laughs> <laughs> but but basically you know um regardless of what the absolute number means anything that was a 55 had approximately the same performance level so whether it was a plug-in hybrid or um a battery electric or a diesel or a gasoline engine, if it had 55, it had the same, same output. And if it was 40, it had the same output. So you could compare across, uh, you know, because a three liter TDI is going to have different performance from a three liter TFSI, you know, and then an electric version is going to be something else entirely. So this gives you a way to say, okay, I want this level of performance with electrification so i want a 55 e-tron you know or a 55 tfsi for a gas engine you know whatever um so 
that that was the scheme they came up with, which I think when you when you start factoring in, you know, the the electrified powertrains, it actually makes sense to do that. OK, so I, I'm convinced like it's it's another level of nonsense, but it's no less nonsense than what they've already got going on. It's all it's yeah, all it, just it, it's you know, nonsense. it's abstracted away from the, the you know, specific, um, you know, engine size. But the specific engine size is not relevant anymore, you know, especially, you know, when you look at what the other German manufacturers are doing, you know, like, um, you know, Mercedes, you know, the E63, you know, it used to be that an E63 was a 6.3 liter V8. Right. Now an E63 is a twin turbo four liter V8. Right. So yeah. it, none of it, the world is upside up is down, down is up. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a lovely car. It looked in the, the the press photo of it in silver, from the rear three quarter. Uh, that is a that is a pretty looking car. It certainly is. Um, all right. So what our next all topic? Right. We, we had uh, Mobileye. Uh, let's skip that one. Oh, you want to skip that? Okay, Mobileye yeah. came up let's, with some math that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's go to we'll we'll come back to to Mobileye in a couple of weeks because um, I'm actually going to be going out to uh, California uh, in mid November to uh, talk with the Mobileye and Intel folks and uh, I want to I want to noodle over this stuff a little more uh, before we get back into that so let's talk a little Tesla what the hell is going on at Tesla lots of people they losing their jobs. Yeah, but they're they're trying to build like uh, you know the electric Camry now. Um, it seems like a real bad time to to just get rid of a bunch of people. Um, and and like you were saying uh, before we started the podcast, their their cover story is kind of weird. It uh, it certainly is. You know, I mean, every company you know of you know any notable size you know generally does performance reviews on employees every year. You know, usually on an annual basis. Some, sometimes it's a little less consistent than that. At least some of my jobs it has been. But you know, in general, most companies do performance, you know, performance appraisals on a yearly basis, and you know that gets used to decide if you're going to get promoted or get a raise and things like that or bonuses. Um, and Tesla is no different in that respect. Um, and apparently, they they employees get rated on a one to five scale, uh, just like your Uber and Lyft drivers. Um, but, uh, apparently this year, uh, Tesla decided to fire several hundred employees on mass, um, over the last couple of weeks, um, which is somewhat unusual. You know, I mean, I have, you know, I've seen, you know, I've, I've you know, over the last 27 years, you know, I've had lots of performance appraisals from, you know, a bunch of different companies that I've worked for over the years and, you know, um, uh, I've, you know, I've seen people who've gotten better appraisals and, and not so good appraisals. And, you know, every once in a while you'll see, you know, maybe one or two people get let go. But I've never seen them fire hundreds of people at one time based on their performance appraisals. Yeah, no, that's called that's called layoffs. Yes. And um, no, no, Tesla doesn't do layoffs. OK, so this, that's what's going on then. <laughs> there's like Tesla does not offer discounts on their cars, you know, as but that's a whole nother story. So they're calling their layoffs, not layoffs, but they're layoffs because uh, I have. And they don't build pre-production cars. No, all they build are pre-production cars. <laughs> I have a really tough time believing that one uh, to two percent of your workforce is that bad. Like, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, it, that's like four to seven hundred people. 
Um, At least. And and so, okay. If your workforce is that bad, maybe that explains why they're they're not getting the Model 3 out like they're supposed to, I suppose. But when you're trying to launch that car, you're now going... It, it just doesn't hold water because from a management perspective, right, you've, you're going from people who have at least been trained and they're there and they've they've been, you know, sort of indoctrinated in some way you you put them on a performance improvement plan uh and if yeah. they're if they're not good you know right well you know and the other thing is you know if you've got this many people that are getting such uh low ratings all at one time and, and needing to be fired that's to me you know that's a sign of a more serious problem you know if if, if in fact you have that many people that are not up to the task right. you know in the company um that's a it's sign not, that, that your upper management is actually not very good because they're right. hiring the wrong people and they're doing the wrong things. Right. It's not them. It's you. Uh, yes. I mean, it's, it's either it's your training program that's no good or, like you said, your, your management or just – I don't know. And so there's, there's also some scuttlebutt that uh, the people let go were actually um, – we're managers. We're more highly paid. Yeah. People. Well, uh, yeah. Apparently, you know, supposedly, you know, when the story first came out, you know, they said, you know, they're, they're not getting rid of production people. You know, there's a lot of people from engineering and marketing, you know, which again, you know, I mean, that Tes really Tesla does marketing. <laughs> I, they ha they ha none they of this makes any sense they, to me, man. <laughs> they, they have a whole bunch of people who cold call customers, you know, or potential customers, you know, asking them, you know, hey, I know you're on the waiting list for a Model 3, but we've got a whole bunch of Model, Model S's right now. We can give you a deal on it. No, sorry, we can we can get you in one really quickly. Listen, that's not marketing. That is those are call center services. Um, it, I'm very familiar with those. Uh, those are you don't need to have employees for that. You just hire a call center. Well, um, maybe that's what they're doing, because the <laughs> you know the latest story you know out of CNBC is you know according to to sources you know inside the company and you know people that have been let go you know it's it's actually more about cost cutting than about uh, um, you know actual employee performance. I mean you know you know using employee performance as a as an excuse to uh, do some headcount reductions. So what does what does this tell us? Does this tell us that Tesla is finally sort of facing up to the fact that being an auto manufacturer is, is kind of hard. No. Okay. I I, I seriously <laughs> doubt they have acknowledged that yet. Okay. Um, is that what the reality is, though? That they're yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's just a it's a very strange situation. But you know everything that goes on there is kind of strange. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, they're gonna. They're going to put GM out of business. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we had some Twitter questions. Oh, I love the move on the pivot. Excellent. OK, yes. Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, so what do you think of the new Star Trek? There's a new Star Trek. Yeah, um, Star Trek Discovery. It's I, I assume from your response that you haven't watched it yet. So here's the thing. Um, I I really don't watch anything. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't watch Breaking Bad. I'm just not interested. And I, I went to film school. <laughs> I make videos. I, I, I don't, I just don't, I don't watch stuff. I, I read, I listen to podcasts. Um, I, I really dig Snap Judgment and uh, Backstory. Um, and the pictures are better on podcasts than they are on, on, on movies. I, I, I don't know. Man. It's, um, 
and sci-fi is like if we're talking sci-fi um i'm uh i have trouble with sci-fi um uh, unless we're talking like weird sci-fi like dark star okay. <laughs> um, uh which really shouldn't have ever been like a feature film. Um, you know, like there's, there are some touchstones like, like the, the original star Wars, and stuff. but yeah, I mean, I love how sci-fi is an allegory and I, I hope that, um, the, you know, star Trek discovery is continuing what, what the original Gene Roddenberry star Trek, uh, started was, was using sci-fi as a, a, a way to sort of talk about and comment on, uh, social problems of, of you know the contemporary times that uh, in in a way that's like sort of non-threatening to, to a lot of people. Um, so you put those issues in in, in in consciousness. That that's really the beautiful thing about sci-fi. Um, but yeah, I mean, network network shows are also like the dialogue is crappy, the plots are terrible. I I have a real hard time with it. I'm a, I'm such a cynic. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and you know. Um... I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, you know, I, I do like some sci-fi. Uh, we have watched, we have been watching Star Trek, um, uh, the Star Trek Discovery, uh, my wife and I. So um, is it good? And yeah, it's actually really good. There, it's, you know, the, the production values are really high. The performances are great. The, the scripts are, are much better than average for, you know, first year of, of a Star Trek, of a new Star Trek series. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really well executed. Um, yeah. And although, you know, CBS is doing it, it's, you know, only the first episode was on actual broadcast. Uh, the rest is only available on CBS all access. Um, Oh, that's right. And it was like, it, it, uh, it's, it's kind of dumb that it's available that way because there's actually, they, they sort of figured out there's, there's a quite an audience that would actually watch this on broadcast. Well, but that, the thing is, that's exactly why they did that because they want people to, to subscribe to CBS all access. And someday I might even do that. Yeah. But CBS uh, all access is like, it costs the same as Hulu and you just have CBS programming and who watches CBS programming? <laughs> I know. That's why I said someday I might subscribe to it. <laughs> um, um, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's really, you know, it does have some of that, uh, you know, the, the allegory uh, stuff that you talked about um but it you know it's it's more of a, an ongoing story arc you know than most of the star trek series in the past have been you know which where they were you know single episodes you know that could stand alone on their own uh <clears throat> this is a continuing story uh as as most of the best uh modern tv shows are dra dramatic tv shows are um so i think you know overall it's it's really good so far you know really pleased that they haven't screwed it up um so that that's a good thing yeah, I mean, Star Trek has uh, the, the fans of Star Trek really, really love it. And, and just looking into the, the history of like what Gene Roddenberry had done and, and how it sort of became a show in the first place. Like, I have a lot of respect for Star Trek. And so I, I like you, I hope they don't screw it up. Um, yeah. I'm still not interested enough to watch it. <laughs> That's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my wife and I don't watch a whole lot of stuff either. You know, I mean, we're cord cutters. And um, so, you know, we have a fairly limited menu of shows that we watch, um, you know, in any given week. And, you know, both of us listen to a lot of podcasts. And um, Oh, so what are your favorites? Anything. I mean, besides wheel bearings, of course. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I listen to that at least three or four times a week. Uh, no, my, my podcast subscription list is actually pretty long. Um, 
yeah, I, I listen to a lot of stuff from uh, from the Twit Network and from Relay FM. Uh, the um, Accidental Tech Podcast is great. I like those guys. Um, and we'll, we'll have to get Casey Liss on here one of these days as well uh, to talk about some stuff because he's kind of a car geek too. Yeah, I think uh, I asked Marco a stupid question over Twitter about like um, using a, a, some with the platform that he came up with. Anyway, uh, <laughs> like I asked a dumb question. I didn't get a response. I was like, that was probably a dumb question. Uh, anyway. Okay. So um, next question uh, from Twitter uh, from DJ Merck asking, how long would you wait to buy one of the new Mazda Skyactiv X engines and uh, to be sure that you aren't a beta tester? Would you lease on day one? Uh, listen, I bought two first year Volvo S60s. I would just jump right the hell in. Just buy, <laughs> buy the car. I mean. What, what have you got to lose? Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? It's got a warranty, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, look, if you want the thing, get the thing. You're going to look at the other people who are either just don't have the same level of self-control or caution and you're going to be envious. So envy yourself. Just get the damn car. Perhaps we'll get lucky and, uh, you know, by the time they, they release the, the new Mazda 3 with the Skyactive engine, Skyactive X engine. And I think we're going to see the uh, a preview of the, the new 3 uh, next month at the at the Tokyo show. Um, or actually, I guess it's in like in a week or two at the Tokyo show. Uh, they're going to have a concept uh, to preview that. But anyway, um, uh, perhaps they will have a subscription plan in place, you know, so you can just sign up for a subscription and then, you know, just walk away from it when you're when it's when it if you're if you're not satisfied. Let's put it that way. Yeah, everybody's but, doing it. Yeah, I mean, you know, least, least, you know, generally, I'm not a, a huge fan of leasing, but in, in this case, it might not be a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, that was and that was his question uh, that I I saw that earlier, and and yes, if you're gonna lease, yes, lease it day one. If you're gonna buy, yeah, okay, using a little bit of caution, because you know the first year cars of of any model are generally quite different from like year two through five. Uh, they well, just, and and in this case in particular, because you know the engine is so different. Um, yeah, I, I would probably be hesitant to uh, put my money. You know, I, I tend not to be a, an early adopter of very expensive objects. You know, I, I'm early adopter of more affordable things, but not not uh, very expensive objects like cars. And so, uh, I would probably be inclined to hold off a little bit on uh, on signing up for a car loan for one of these. Yeah, but uh, so uh, coming back to a lease, though, a lease for a threes, it, like that's not going to be like this. Be oh yeah, two fifty to three fifty a month, depending on the the trim right. level, maybe so, yeah. and the, the amount that you have to put down. Although I think it's asinine to put money down when you're renting a car. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a whole other episode. Um, even th- I mean, with the lease, usually maintenance is covered, so you'd be you'd be fine. Um, yeah, uh, no, it's usually not actually not with a. Uh, not with uh, a yeah, I'm sorry. Lease. Like routine stuff is covered, right? Not like. Uh, it varies from company to, from manufacturer to manufacturer. Wherein Dan uh, demonstrates his lack of fundamental understanding of what's covered <laughs> with leases. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Last one here. Uh, how should autonomous tech factor into Consumer Reports reliability rankings? And this comes on the heels of Consumer Reports uh, releasing their 2017 reliability survey today. Uh, before I jump in this, do you have any thoughts? Um, so I think if you're talking about reliability, you should consider the, the actual reliability of the tech and not that, not the usability. That's a different thing. 
Um, so reliability in tech to me means like, you know, does it get wacky and reboot itself a lot or, you know, all of those things that make it difficult to use or let you down in a, in a clutch situation. Um, but it doesn't mean, uh, the actual like interface, like that's a separate issue to me is like how easily to, how easy to use it is versus how actually like how much uptime I guess you have. Yeah. I mean, certainly the, the usability part has factored heavily, increasingly heavily over the last several years into things like the JD power initial quality survey. And it, and it should like, it's, it's a huge issue and the usability is super important, even though it's, not it's arguably a quality issue yeah i think you know the the definition of quality in in that context has changed a lot over the last 10 years you know it used to be that quality was you know is it put together right you know does it does it do what it's designed to do you know regardless of whether you like the way it does it and that has the way people have the responses to that survey have changed uh is it's shifted more towards design quality rather than functional quality um and so now it's you know do you like the way this works and if it it annoys you you know then people have, have been knocking those down in the quality ratings if it's if it's annoying in the way it works even if it works as it's designed to work um and i think you know the the issue here you know with the reliability rankings you know as, as you said you know i think it, it, you run into you run the risk of getting into the same kind of situation you know it, it looking at the the user interface versus the way it actually functions and yeah. i i think i think i absolutely think we should you know, factor some of these automation technologies into the reliability rankings. And I, I very carefully use the word automation there rather than autonomous, because right now there is nothing out in the market that is autonomous. Um, but it's it's automation technology that's taking taking over part of the job of driving, not the full job of driving. Um, and I, I think I think it's perfectly valid to uh, to factor in some aspects of that, you know, like for, you know, let's say for example, um, you know, Volvo drive pilot, uh, you know, that, that system, you know, that's their semi-automated driving system, uh, that's supposed to, you know, track down the lane and, and, you know, combined with, um, adaptive cruise control, you know, to follow the, the car in front of you, uh, that, you know, if you read the description of what it's supposed to do and then actually drive it, you find that it does not, it does it very often does not do what it's described as being capable of doing. I found, you know, in driving it, you know, a couple of different generations of it on two different vehicles that it was, uh, you know, it often, you know, was not, it was not able to reliably detect the lane markings and, and track the lane. Yeah. So I would call that unreliable. Um, and I, I think that that's perfectly valid to okay. include rankings of things like that in those reliable in the, the consumer reports reliability ranking. OK, I mean, I, I guess one of the things I was thinking of as we talked is uh, a lot of these systems, uh, they lag, you know, and that that like it's, it's the process is just slow or just is trying to do too much. And, and that kind of stuff to me, that's again, that's that's a an issue that. It's not so much reliability, but it's it's functionality and, and like it's a it's a real well, problem. I mean, and, if, but I think that means that the system does not 
respond when you expect it to. Right. And, and so I, and that's, yeah. to me, that's reliability. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's waiting too long to slow down, you know, when the car in right. front of you slows down, I would, I would say that that's, that's perfectly reasonable to call that a reliability issue. Well, yeah, you can't rely on it. So there, yeah. we'll torture it. Yeah, if, you, if, you can't re- if you can't rely on it to do what it's intended to do, then it's not reliable. But it's also like when you talk about a reliability um, issue in terms of like CR uh, with their, you know, with the consumer reports um, rankings, you know, you're talking about how a car survives over three years, five years, seven years. Those systems are pretty important uh, to how how that car ages. Uh, you know, and we're, we're seeing that now with our Jeep, where the, the nav system in the Jeep that we have was it was at the end of its life anyway. The next year, the 14's got a, a newer uh, Uconnect system with a larger screen, better processor, you know, just some different control interface. Um, so now it feels really antique, and it can be updated with maps. But like, what do you have to do? to update it can it accept updates how long is the automaker going to continue updating and supporting it and what happens uh when you do update it is it like a phone that like the more you update your old phone the slower and crappier it gets just because the world has moved on that's that's a, those are big deals yeah um yeah and that's certainly you know, that's I'd say that that's increasingly something that you want to consider as part of the overall reliability or certainly the durability of the system. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily the reliability, but absolutely the durability. Just as, you know, does the does the transmission start having problems after 25 or 30,000 miles? You know, if your if your nav system is no longer really functional after three years, that's it's not very durable. Yeah, I mean, so, maybe so it's maybe, not maybe not reliability there, um, but certainly durability. Yeah, and and it's it's still it's a frustration point, and it um, and you pay money for that feature, you finance that feature over, gosh, uh, you know, hundred and twenty eight months or whatever they'll write you a loan for now. <laughs> um, so, you know, if it's useless by the you know before the loan is over, I think I think the upper limit issue. right now in the U.S. is about eighty four. 96 in Canada. 96 months. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's it's crazy. Uh, yeah. Um, so think of it it's that almost way. almost as long as my mortgage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, th- think of it that way, though. Like, how uh, think of how long you're going to be paying for it and what it's going to be like uh, once you finally own it, uh, if that's the way you go. And if you lease, it's not such an issue. Um you know, every every two three years, you're getting into, into something with with a newer newer piece of technology in it. So, uh, but yes, uh, I think the tech stuff, uh, how long it lasts, how well it works, all of that is. If we're gonna start having cars with more of this stuff in it, we already do. If we're gonna have cars with all of this stuff in it, it's another area to look at. What's unfortunate is that uh, an otherwise fantastic car can get dinged pretty hard. Um, because of its tech, you know, we saw this happen to Ford with like the Fusion with the My Ford Touch and stuff. They 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 got dinged in ratings where the rest of the car was was really good, and the, the tech really really brought it down. And and if if you're not sort of quite an enthusiast consumer, you may not understand why the car was was sort of uh, lower on the totem pole than than really it might have deserved to be. 
Uh, absolutely. Um, so I think that's uh, all we got for tonight, unless you got anything else. <laughs> no, I'm done being wordy. OK, <laughs> uh, so that's uh, that's episode so good, 43. We're good hour and a half in there. So I think I think that's good. I think we, we did a good job. Uh, you can tell us if we did a good job. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at WheelBearingsCast. Uh, no vowels except for the A in cast. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes um, where we're on Facebook at uh, Wheel, Wheel Bearings Media. Wheel Bearing Media. Um, yeah. We're, we're around. You know where to find us. Um, and our email is wheelbearingscast at gmail.com. All right. Uh, and uh, we will see you in a week or so. Uh, or talk to you in a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see, we'll see sometime, you sometime next week. We'll do another one again soon. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.